All right, well, welcome. All right, so one week and we will be celebrating Easter. I think we're all looking forward to that. We're all looking forward to a celebration. But as I said in my introduction today, we are Palm Sunday. And if you're new uh, to your relationship with Christ, maybe you're watching online, you're not really sure all about this Christianity stuff, you're going to learn something about Palm Sunday today. Maybe some of you, Palm Sunday, you're very familiar with Palm Sunday, you grew up in the church. It's my hope and prayer today that as we talk about Palm Sunday, that maybe you'll see a detail that you haven't seen before. Maybe you'll see something really significant about the story today that would just make you pause and just reflect and to see the goodness of God, how he takes care of every single little detail of our life. And when you look at Palm Sunday, you do have to sit back and you are encouraged because you see the convergence of these prophetic words that were thousands of years happened prior. And the convergence with what is actually happening today. And to see how God can weave so many details together because he wants a relationship with you. And he wants a relationship with me. Clark, you don't have to leave. It's going to be a good message. He can be as noisy as he wants. Actually, Becky said last week, sounds good to hear little voices in church. So you make as much noise, Clark. It's a joyful noise. But I think when you look at Palm Sunday, you do see these details of what God, went, God did so that we could have a relationship with him. But Palm Sunday also reminds us of the decision that we made to follow Jesus. Or maybe if you haven't made that decision, it reminds you of what decisions that you need to make. But also, when you look at the story of Palm Sunday, there's one important question that we all have to ask ourselves. And that is, what do you expect out of Jesus? What do you expect Jesus to do for you today? Or maybe what do you expect for Jesus to do for you in the future? Because everybody that showed up on that Palm Sunday day had a big expectation. And I think every time we show up to church as well, we come with expectations, hoping that Jesus is going to fill for us. So join me as I read the text from John 12, verses 12 through 19. It says, The next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem spread through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid! people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and they realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. That was the reason that so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about all of his miraculous signs. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everybody has gone after him. So the first question that we need to answer is, what is Palm Sunday? I think the first thing that you see from the text is that it, this wasn't something that Jesus and his disciples had planned. 
that Jesus didn't say to his disciples, hey guys, you know, on, uh, on, this, on this day, I want you to guys prepare this for me. I want you to tell people to come with palm branches. No, it was spontaneous. This event spontaneously happened because people had heard about Jesus' miracles. They had heard about Jesus' miracles and they also wanted Jesus to become a new political leader. They wanted Jesus to become the leader of the Roman Empire. See, none of the people that were there actually knew everything that would happen that week. Some of them that were there, they've heard about what would happen, but it really didn't register to them. Instead, they were coming there for one reason, and that was Passover. See, Passover is this, this national festival that the Jewish nation participated in. It was a required feast that God had, had required the Israelites to come to Jerusalem once a year to celebrate Passover. And Passover is a celebration of when God released the Israelites from the captivity that they experienced in Egypt. Some of you know the story of the Ten Plagues. For 400 years, the nation of Israel, they're in captivity in Egypt, and they're treated very poorly. They have harsh working conditions. They have to work long and laborious hours. And they're under severe oppression. And they cry out to God for years that, God, would you come rescue us? Would you come save us? And finally, God raises up the prophet Moses. And God says to Moses, he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the leader of the nation of Israel, and I want you to say to him, God's telling you to let the people go. So Moses, after a season of preparation, went before Pharaoh, and you can imagine Pharaoh's response, no way. I'm not doing that. He had free labor. So some of you know the story where God sent the nine plagues against the nation of Egypt. And every time God said to Pharaoh, I said, look, you can release these people now. And Pharaoh said, no, he wouldn't do it. For nine plagues that almost wiped out the nation of Israel. And then the tenth plague came. Where Pharaoh had been warned time and time again, if you let the Israelites go, you can escape consequences but he wouldn't do it so the 10th plague came and some of you know where God said to through Moses said the firstborn son all through Egypt is not going to make it through the night and in fact all the firstborn cattle will not make it through the night as well however to the Israelites he said if you slaughter a, a lamb and you take the blood of the lamb and paint it over your doorpost you and your household will be saved none of you will experience death well, I think we know the story. The Egyptians didn't follow what the Lord had instructed, only the Israelites did. And so the next morning, Egypt woke up with mass amount of deaths. And the, finally at that point, Pharaoh said, okay, I'll let the people go because he wanted to get rid of the Israelites. And so that day is called Passover, the day when the angel of death would come to your house and would pass over your house because of the blood that was painted over the doorpost. Passover simply means to spare and so the Lord required that the Israelites would all come to the capital city of Jerusalem once a year to celebrate what God had done, to come on to Passover to celebrate what God had done in the past, how he had rescued the Israelites, to give thanks to God for what he has done, but also they had to bring a lamb to Jerusalem that would be slaughtered to pay for their sins of their family for the past year. So I think we all wonder, why in the world lamb? Why are we sacrificing lambs? See, what God was teaching the Israelites is that somebody is going to have to die for your sins. There has to be some payment for your sins. Something else is going to have to die. So God used a lamb to teach the people about redemption through a substitute. 
And see, the beautiful thing about redemption through a substitute is when the angel of death came to your house, they passed over because of the blood on the doorway. They didn't pass over because of the person inside. They passed over, passed over because of the blood on the doorway. See, our lives are spared because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because maybe I have extra good character or I try really hard or I try to put Jesus first. No. My salvation is guaranteed because of the blood of the Lamb. It has nothing to do with the person inside. And that's such a beautiful illustration that God is showing to the Israelites that your life can be spared by somebody else sacrificing for you. So we have this all going on, that all these Israelites are coming into Jerusalem. Conservative estimates say between 200 and 300,000 people were coming into Jerusalem. That's like the size of everybody in Grand Rapids proper. Some other estimates will say over a million people were coming into Jerusalem. That's a lot of people that are coming in to sacrifice a lamb for the sins of their family. But see, there's something else going on that you don't see, and that's oppression. See, the Israelites are living inside of the Roman Empire, and they are having a bad experience. The leader of the Roman Empire is Caesar, and he treats people very, very poorly. Some historians will say that the income tax rate was up to 90% in some areas of business. That some people were paying 90% income tax. So you can imagine if you, that doesn't leave you much left over. So the, the Israelites are experiencing a lot of oppression. They're not treated well. And to top it off, the Roman Empire is a very pagan nation. There's a lot of gods that they worship. And all the Romans want to get the Israelites to follow their false gods. So you have a lot that's going on here. And a lot of difficulties that the Israelites are experiencing. So on one hand, the Israelites are coming to make a sacrifice and to thank God for what he's done for them. But on the other hand, they're remembering what God did when he rescued their ancestors from the Egyptians. And they're all thinking, maybe God would do that again. Maybe this Jesus guy that's coming, maybe he will be the new leader of the Roman Empire. That's really what they want. They want Jesus to be this political figure that could overtake the Roman Empire and free them from the oppression. They all have an expectation of what they want Jesus to do. And they all have a prayer of what they want Jesus to do. And I think we can all understand that pretty well. I think most of us come to church on Sunday and we're grateful for what God's done in the past. We're excited for what God's going to do in the future, but we're concerned about right now. I have some big prayer requests that I would like answered right now. I think every one of us could say, God, there's something I would like you to do right now. But yet a lot of us, we wait and we wait. And that's exactly what's happening with the Israelites that day on Palm Sunday. They're coming to Palm Sunday thinking maybe, just maybe, Jesus will do for us what God did for us hundreds of years ago. Maybe it would free us from all this oppression. But it actually gets even more complicated. See, the problem is Caesar is the leader of the Roman Empire. See, the, the leader of the Roman Empire comes from a long dynasty of Caesars, a family name that's passed on. And so there's kind of this cult-like cult following of Caesar, where Caesar kind of has this attitude and this idea that he is more than just a political leader, that he is some kind of a god. And Caesar likes that. 
See, people are starting to call Caesar King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the exact name that is given to Jesus. So there's almost this little competition that's starting between Caesar saying, I want to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want people to follow me. In fact, Caesar even started this 12-day ad, Advent season where people could come and worship him and ask him to forgive their sins and they could make sacrifices to him. Caesar wanted people to worship him. He didn't want anybody to worship Jesus. See, the truth is, there is always somebody that's trying to compete with our worship of Jesus. There's always someone or something or somebody that is trying to get us to call them King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's always something. It could be our job. It could be sports. Usually you can figure it out by what do you go to for comfort or what do you go to for encouragement or what do you go to for hope. A lot of times on the other end of that is kind of what we worship at times. And that's why we spent so much time in the season of Lent to figure out are we really going to God for comfort and for hope and for encouragement? Is that really our go-to place? So Caesar is over this whole Roman Empire. And the empire has got so big that it's got pretty complicated, the govern, government. So he sets, sets up regional governors. So we have Pontius Pilate, who's the governor of the Jerusalem area, which is kind of important to remember for the Friday service. So with all the activities that are going on, the Roman Empire has one strategy. How are they going to get people to follow Caesar? They're going to use intimidation. So Caesar sends in his entire army to Jerusalem to surround all the Israelites to make sure that they behave and try to intimidate them into not following Jesus or not following God and to follow Caesar. He's going to use intimidation. That's his goal. And I think we look at this Palm Sunday story and say, what is the big deal? Why are they so worried about Jesus? See, they're not worried about Jesus. They're worried about Jesus once people actually started to follow him. That's when they got nervous. There's always been people in the Old Testament history that claim, would claim to be the Son of God or would claim to be the Savior of the world. But those people are easily discarded. Suddenly Jesus comes forward and he claims that he's the Son of God. And they see these miracles that he's doing and people are starting to follow him. They're very interested. But see, there's something that Jesus did on Palm Sunday that's getting the attention of the Roman Empire. See, they're waving palm branches and they're shouting to God, Hosanna, Hosanna. You think that looks kind of innocent? Palm branch. So you're waving that. What's the big deal? After all, if you go to Leviticus 23, verse 40, it does tell you that one way you can worship God is by taking a palm branch and waving it. That's a sign of respect and honor to God. You think, well, that doesn't sound that threatening. But that's pretty threatening if you're Caesar. Because what he's seeing is that people are not waving those palm branches to him. They're waving it to God, and he becomes jealous of that attention. You also remember 150 years earlier when uh, the Israelites had a war against the Romans, that they had success in the war. When they finished that war, they took palm branches and waved them before God as a sign of praise and thanksgiving. So the Roman officials are watching that. They're watching them wave those flags and they're taking that as a sign of rebellion. And they don't like that. 
But the truth is, it is a sign of rebellion. Because the Israelites are not following the Roman Empire, following Caesar. And that's a good thing. But this is also a good principle to learn that when you're surrounded by intimidation, when you're surrounded by temptation, or surrounded by obstacles, one of the best strategies of war is to, you don't have to have a palm branch, but to praise and worship God. Because it does become a sign of submission to God, and it is a sign to your enemies that you're not going to follow them. That's a very good strategy when you feel tempted or you feel overwhelmed. It's to stop and praise God because that is a sign of your allegiance to God. But on top of that, the Israelites are also crying out, Hosanna. It sounds kind of simple. But what Hosanna is saying is they're saying, God, rescue us. God, save us. The Israelites are coming before Jesus and they're saying, God, would you save us? Would this be the man that you would use? Would this be the fulfillment of the prophecies of somebody that would save us from oppression? So that's the stage that is set. Caesar, Caesar is the, the, the leader of the Roman Empire and he thinks he's the savior of the world. Pilate is the local governor of Jerusalem and he wants to make sure that the people stay in submission to him because he wants them to continue to pay their high taxes. The Jews are all assembled because they want to be free from the Roman Empire. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they just had enough with Jesus and they want to kill him. And in the middle of it all, Jesus innocently rides into the city on the back of a donkey, which is actually a sign of peace. And the Jews are crying out to God, save us, save us. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to save them. He's going to rescue them. He's going to free them from oppression. But the people that were shouting out Hosanna and worshiping God that day will be the same people five days later who will be saying, kill him. Because Jesus didn't fulfill the expectations that they had. They were crying out to Jesus saying, would you rescue us, will you save us? And God's going to do exactly that. But he's not going to do it how they expected. And when their expectations aren't being met, they're not going to follow him anymore. They're not going to follow him anymore because they don't like the way he's going to meet or answer their prayers. I think we all kind of relate to that in a way where we've prayed about something over and over again. And God doesn't answer it how we expect. And it's always frustrating. And there's times you just want to say, does he even listen to me? But I think when we see perfect illustration in Palm Sunday, God does answer every prayer. Not always in the way we want. But we see the faithfulness of God in this story to do exactly what the Israelites wanted and exactly what they needed. And that's why when we read the story, I think it's important to go back and to ask three different questions. The first question that we need to answer is, who is going to be your Lord? Who is going to be your Lord? Who is going to be your King of Kings? See, the Israelites had a choice that day. Is it going to be Caesar or is it going to be Jesus? And every one of us has to answer that question. Who is the Lord of your life? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And the hard thing is, that same 
army of intimidation that surrounded the Israelites surrounds people today to try to intimidate them into fear of not following Jesus. But that's why we've been looking this last uh, 40 days on the compassion of Christ, how Christ is your friend, how he's your advocate, how he's your intercessor. To see how God draws us in is through the love and compassion of Christ. So the big question, the first big question is, who's going to be your Lord? But the second question is following up is, are you actually going to follow Christ? Are you going to actually follow the one that you claim to be your Lord? See, Passover not only asks the question of who's going to be your Lord, but it asks us, are we actually following Christ? And we believe that he is the one who has atoned for our sins. See, the Jewish people understood that their sins had to be atoned for once a year. They understood that they had to bring a lamb into Jerusalem once a year as payment for their sins. Now, fortunately, we don't have to do that anymore. None of us have to go buy a lamb today and have it sacrificed for Passover. We know when we accepted Jesus as Lord, our sins were forgiven once and for all. But the principle that we have to draw on in Palm Sunday is the fact that you need to follow Jesus. See, prior to this day being called Palm Sunday, it was actually called Lamb Selection Day. When Jesus came into the city, nobody said, oh, this is Palm Sunday today. No, it was called Lamb Selection Day. So you read in Exodus 12, verse 3 and verse 6. It says, Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. Jump down to verse 6. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the fourteenth day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. See, there's no coincidence that the day Jesus walks into the city to give his life up for the city is called Lamb Selection Day. See, the people of Israel knew that they would have to bring a lamb into the city on that day, a few days before Passover in preparation. And for a lot of the Israelites, you know, they, they didn't, they, maybe they weren't sheep farmers, so they, they would have to buy a sheep. They'd have to buy this perfect sheep. Well, where do you think they bought their sheep? They bought it in a little town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem was known as the, uh, the place that you go buy your lambs for sacrifice. And most of you know the story. Where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem in a stable. You see the significance of all these little details of the story coming together. That Jesus does become the lamb that was sacrificed for the sins of the world. So when you bought your lamb from Bethlehem on your way to Jerusalem, you had to get into the city. The city of Jerusalem is a walled-in city and they had many different gates. What gate would you come into the city with your lamb? Well, you'd come in the eastern gate, which is also called the Lamb's Gate. That is the gate that all the lambs would come into the city for sacrifice. So what gate do you think Jesus came into on Palm Sunday? He came in the same gate. All the lambs were coming into the city that would be sacrificed. 
The details of the story are so significant. The details that God went to, to not only would you know about the Jesus' the sacrifice so that you could actually see it, that the people could see it and experience what Jesus is doing. I mean, none of these details are coincidence. They're all part of God's plan. Because God is so concerned with every detail in our life, even the little details. And the third question that we need to ask when we look at Palm Sunday is, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? See, when the family would come into the city with their little lamb, there's thousands of other people, lambs running everywhere. And part of the plan was you had to keep that lamb with you for about five days. That lamb had to go wherever you went, that lamb would follow along. So what the family would do is that they would take this bronze name tag and they would put the family's name on the, on the neck of that lamb. Because they wanted to make sure that if that lamb wandered away or the family wandered away from that lamb, that that, 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 that lamb would have been marked. That that lamb would pay for the sins of that family. And see, in Revelations 13 and, and chapter 21, they talk about that there's a lamb's book of life. That in that book is the, name, the names of everybody who's received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that their name is written in that book. See, that's important to ask. A lot of times you ask people, do you follow Jesus? Oh, yeah. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Oh, yeah, I believe that. But do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you really have that security and confidence? Because God wants you to have that security. But he also wants to make sure that you know what you're doing. See, do you really believe that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you believe that Jesus is the one who has paid for your sins? Do you believe that you need somebody to pay for your sins? And do you actually follow Jesus? Do you actually follow Jesus, which is the living word of God? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is your name really written in that Lamb's book of life? Do you have that confidence? So some of you might wonder, well, how do you become saved? How do you make sure your name's written in there? Well, it's not going to happen because I write a sermon that's really going to convince you to follow Jesus today. What happens is you're in your heart, you know that Jesus is calling you to follow him. And Jesus is revealing himself to you. And as you maybe are sitting at home or sitting here today, that you know that Something inside of you is telling you that you know Jesus is real, that he is Lord. And you know that you, you have sins in your life, and you know that you want your sins need to be paid for. But usually what the big mark is when you have this desire that you want to actually start following Jesus, that you want to become obedient to him and follow his word and live your life according to his word. Not that you have to live it in perfection, but you need to start someplace. And that's usually the mark that you are a follower of Jesus and then your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's the comfort we have. And that's the hope when we come on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the fact that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we are free from oppression. And we have the security and comfort that we all long for.
But there's a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus. The Gospel of Luke adds a little bit to John's description of Palm Sunday. In Luke 19, verse 41 through 43, it says this. It says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. See, Jesus came into the world to be the spotless Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But when Jesus was living, leaving the city, he was weak being because he knew some people would not accept him as Lord. He knew some people would not acknowledge him as the Savior of the world, so he's weeping for that. He's weeping because he knows some people in the crowd would not accept the gift that he was offering. And that's why Jesus was weeping. And there are some people that came out for Palm Sunday that were so discouraged by the day that later in the week they're the ones cheering to crucify Jesus because he didn't meet their expectations. I love this illustration by Pete Gregg, the author of the book, God on Mute. Thank you, Becky. He talks about in that book how so often when we pray, we have this expectation that God is going to come in and airlift us up airlift us out of our difficult situation. That so often when we pray we're in a hard situation, we just want God to pull us out of it. And that's exactly what the Israelites are saying. God, just pull us out of the situation or radically change the Roman Empire. But instead of God airlifting us out of our situation, often what God does is that he sends Jesus in our situation to bring us comfort and to peace and to walk with us. That we want to be airlifted out of our situation, but Jesus actually parachutes into our situation. And he joins us in the hard and the difficult things of life. That Jesus walks with us through the muck and the mire of life. But we just hope and we expect that Jesus quickly get us out, make it easier. But often what Jesus says, no, I will come into your situation and you're going to find freedom when I'm just walking with you. I love Psalm 23 and many of you love it as well. In chapters, or verses 3 through 4, it says, He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So that's what Jesus is coming to do. He's coming to walk with the Jewish people. He's coming to walk with them through the dark situations of their life. He's coming to lead and guide and direct, but he's also coming to bring hope and encouragement. And that's the beauty of our celebration is that Jesus comes into all of our situations. And like a good shepherd, he leads us. Libby and Jake are going to come up and they're going to lead us in our final song. 
And again, as we've been doing through our Lent season, we just want to offer you, you can stand and join in singing, or you can just let them minister to you through music. And I think it might be appropriate just to sit and to let them minister to you as we are in a preparation season and saying, God, examine our life. And give us new perspective. And God, sometimes it's important to say, God, what expectations do I have right now that might be leading me down the wrong path? Maybe let's use this time for God to shift our expectations in a way that we would find comfort and hope and peace. So God, I do thank you for today, and we thank you, Lord, for Palm Sunday. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son into this world to pay for our sins, to make a sacrifice for our sins. And God, we thank you today that you answer every single one of our prayers, even if it doesn't happen the way we think or anticipate. And God, we come before you today acknowledging that sometimes our expectations are off. And we pray that you forgive us from that, but Lord, I pray that you'd recalibrate us today as we prepare for Easter. So that our expectations, our hope is in Jesus, not in what we hope he could do, but our hope just rests in the fact that your son came to this world to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead. And that is our true hope. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
his favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family in your children and their children and their children 